It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning, a kind of crisp Saturday morning. Um, our phone lines are open at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. That's how you get through and talk to us about your car, your car problems. We have the all-data computer system all fired up. Hopefully that's going to work okay. If you're looking for any kind of technical service bulletins or other information, a lot of times we have that. Um doesn't have the latest and greatest because that's reserved for the vehicle manufacturers, but uh, we do get it. We do get it eventually, and uh, so we have some of the information. We also have a lot of the recall information and things like that. But you can give us a call at 617-770-3030, We do have a little comedy clip. Uh, one of our listeners, John, sent us a link to a YouTube clip. We'll be playing that a little bit later on. And uh, it's kind of funny. It's about car names and how they've changed. And uh, a lot of it's kind of interesting because there was always car names. And then car manufacturers started to go to numbers. And, you know, with the exception of some of the Germans that always had, you know, a Mercedes, you know, 300 or a BMW 528 or a BMW 2002 but uh, most of the American cars had names, and then they decided uh, maybe names, maybe we need numbers like the other people do. And then they went to letters. So you know, and I, I still think I don't know. I would prefer to have an Acura Legend than an Acura RLX or TLX or RL. Um, I just like I think cars should have names. I think that's just the way it should be. Uh, one car that's gonna is making quite a name for itself if they can get them made is the new c8 corvette the new corvette is one of general motors hottest cars in recent memories but you know gm's on strike although it looks like it may be getting settled um one car dealer says i will not mark it up the new corvette is one of general motors hottest cars in recent memory this is about a month old story so i'd be interested to see what really actually happened here. Uh, online interest is off the charts. When the car is displayed at dealerships, large crowds gathered. There was a big crowd down at Newport when they had the C8 Corvette down in Newport at the uh, Newport uh, Concours d'Elegance and Motor Week. Uh, the 2020 Corvette's popularity means there will be a, a second market adjustment sticker at some dealerships that require early customers to pay thousands over suggested price. I heard... I heard a 50 or I guess about $60,000 Corvette was selling for about $100,000. On the list of popular Corvette online forums shows that more than 50 Corvette dealers who have pledged to sell the 8th generation Corvette Stingray for sticker price and no more. On that list is one of the nation's highest volume Corvette dealers, uh, a dealership in Dearborn, Michigan. We believe in creating a customer 
not for one vehicle, but for many vehicles. Customers uh, who think about us in the future, said Paul Stanford, who, with his brother Gary, has run the store since the early 1990s. Unfortunately, there were dealers across the country with an addendum sticker that puts 5000 to 10000 over sticker, and we've never done that. Our position simply said there's a margin in the MSRP so they can make some money when they sell it. And for us, we think it's fair, and that's what we'll sell the car for. A general manager at another Chevrolet dealership who did not want to be identified disagrees. He said he stopped selling Corvettes for sticker price when he observed customers buying his cars and flipping them for profit. He said one customer made $30,000 in the sale of an older ZR1. So they marked them up. Well... You know, maybe maybe you know Ford had the right idea when they when they came out with the latest Ford GT, and it said that you you couldn't once you got the car, you couldn't sell it for more than, or you had to keep it for three years. That's what it was. You couldn't you had to keep it for three years before you could sell it. So that's an entire that's a possibility. Maybe maybe GM needed to do something like that. This week, I had the pleasure to go to Hearts. Hearts, you kind of wonder, what's Hearts? Hearts is the company that makes the majority of convertible top material on most of the cars sold in the world. So my wife's Volkswagen, for instance, has a Hearts top on it. Old antique cars have Hearts tops on them. Uh, most everything that Jeep has has products that are made by Hearts, whether it's the bag you put the hard tops in, whether it's the cloth top that's on there, whether it's the, uh, the door panels that are made out of a, a soft-touch material. Uh, they, they are all made by products made by Hearts. And where is the world headquarters for Hearts? Acton, Massachusetts, of all places. Who would think that a giant company would be in Acton, Massachusetts? Now, they have a factory in uh, Germany and another factory in China. Uh, but they, they do a huge amount of manufacturing in Acton. And oddly enough, it's right outside a residential area. So you're driving along, and I had never been there before until this past Wednesday. I'm driving along, and I'm like, well, it can't be up this road. There's very nice homes on this road. Go up the road a little bit. Gets a little bit industrial, still a lot of residential homes. Take a turn up the driveway. There's there's the factory, and I had a, uh, and I always like going to see manufacturing happen. I always like seeing all, all all of it happen. And they were saying, and I asked, you know, how do you how do you stay friends with the neighbors? And Doug Hartz, who's one of the cousins, said to me. We're very conscious of that. In fact, we don't allow um, trucks that have sort of open exhaust. We don't allow deliveries or pickups anytime after six at night. Uh, we, if any neighbor has a problem with us, we ask them to come in and see us. And, uh, it, it, you know, at times they could have, uh, they want to make sure that as they're having deliveries or as they're picking things up, they don't stack tractor trailers in the street, so they have a pretty big staging area. They have all the they have all the truck drivers shut everything off, so it's quiet. Uh, and then I said to him, you know, a lot of what you do is a vinyl 
the interior material looks some of this stuff looks just like leather and it has a thin maybe an eighth inch foam pad under it and then a material under that and i said you know you're spraying a lot of adhesive how do you keep the smell down i said i used to work across the street from boston whale in rockland we always knew when they were making hulls because you could smell the fiberglass and he said, oh, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we have all kinds of air purification systems. Our doors seal pretty, in that section, seal pretty tight. Uh, we're very concerned about that. Uh, he said, we've never had a complaint ever since we've been here. Uh, and they moved from Waltham to Acton, I think he said 30-some-odd years ago. And he said, we've never had a complaint about anybody saying there's, a, there's a, uh, an adhesive smell. And then my other question was, this is he I think we were at we were probably in a building that was a couple hundred thousand square feet and they have two or three other buildings there and one about a mile and a half down the road and I asked about that building and uh, I you know kind of looked at all especially the adhe- where they were doing some more adhesive work and he said well we can go in and i'll show you everything that's in there but you have to shut off your cell phones cuz we're very concerned about uh static electricity and sparks and all that sort of stuff and uh, i said yeah how do you you know with everything you do here how do you hire how do you um how do you handle fire prevention and he said we've become a model for other companies he said other companies come in here and he says they, they check out our fire prevention systems and how we store things and where we put things away. And uh, Doug Hartz, who is uh, in, in charge of, I think, some of the international customers, I said to him, do you ever work out here on the line, you know, with the machines? And he said, for the first 15 years I worked at Hartz. I worked, I worked out here in the, in, either in the warehouse or in the production facility. Which is kind of nice to see because that, I think, when you're meeting with an, with an original equipment manufacturing customer and you really know what's going on, I think that can make a real difference in how you portray your product. Uh, the president of the company now is not – his name is not Hartz. The president of the company is actually named Fox. Um, uh, but they, they hired him a bunch of years ago. And uh, to keep the company going, and and it's just it's a it's a pretty it's a, it's a really good story to tell about this local Massachusetts manufacturer that has these worldwide connections. Uh, one of the things that, uh, as as I was kind of checking it out and seeing seeing what it was was all about, and the who their customers are, and their customers are all over the world. And I said to him, as your as there's less convertibles in the world maybe in europe there's still a little bit more than here and he said you know we've been doing this since night since the 1920s so we've seen the the rise and fall of convertibles he said uh i said what else are you doing and he said well it's interesting you say that he said uh king ranch who's a who's a huge ranch i think they have uh, making up the number hundred thousand acres of land out in texas somewhere or someplace out that way and uh they also, besides they make saddles and clothing, he said, we make a line of luggage that they supply, we supply the material, and they supply the leather for the trim. And our material looks like leather, but because it's in handbags and luggage, it stands up a lot better than leather, but it still has the King Ranch 
um, King Ranch um, logos all over it. And even to the point where I asked them about uh, the Mini Coopers with the Union Jack flag on the roof. And I said, is that painted? And he said, no, no, it's jacquard, which is a French stitching, where they stitch one color in one direction, another color in another direction to get the pattern. And he said, no, that's, uh, the color goes all the way through. And he, he likened it to some, either, a, 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 I think it was a, a flooring commercial or a tile commercial that shows a, a radish and a, and a carrot. And it's, uh, you know, the radish, the color is only on the outside, and the carrot, the color goes all the way through. Well, in all their products, the color goes all the way through. So he said, you know, what's good about this? And he said, we, we also make it with the King Ranch logo, so it's, it's visible. Um, they're looking at now working with a, he couldn't say who, but a sneaker manufacturer that may be headquartered in Boston. So you can guess which, there's a couple of choices there. Uh, but, they're, uh, but they're looking to make kind of an alternative to leather, and their products really do look like leather. In fact, stealing a little bit from like the Bob's Furniture commercial that talks about their leather products and it's leather where you sit, because the rest of the stuff isn't leather. And that's sort of how a lot of cars are today that claim to have leather interiors. It's not a full leather interior. It's, a, it's leather where you sit, and the sides and the back are actually made out of products that look like leather. I accuse them of having a bunch of plastic cows out back just to make the plastic leather. But there's, the stuff looks really, really good. And one of, the, one of the products they're doing now, and they're doing it kind of in a relatively small number, is they have the equipment capability to produce a product that they put inside leaky water pipes. So when there's a big 10-inch water pipe that's made out of clay or iron and it's starting to leak, they can take a product and sort of like a balloon stint almost and blow it through the entire length of the pipe, and then it sets up hard, almost like a hard fiberglass. And then they send a machine down to cut the holes in the sides and for the other pipes that connect to it. And it solves all the water leakage problems, and that way you don't have to tear up the roads. So when you see a truck that says water main reconditioning, that's what it's actually doing. It's actually, it's actually uh, putting, this, putting some sort of product in the middle of the pipe. And that product is made by Hearts. And uh, it's just something that they realized that they had the equipment they could, they could do it, and they make it. And uh, they, they make quite a bit of it. So, it's, again, it's sort of this interesting company. Also, they will still... They were talking about, and I don't remember the exact car, but I think it was an old Packard. And there was a guy who's been restoring the car for about six or seven years. And he wanted to have the original Hart's top on the car. Well, their records go back to, their good records go back to the 60s and 70s. They don't go back to the teens. But they were able to recreate this top. And they used to sell a lot of topping material and upholstery material to LeBaron Bonnie, which was a local company that did a lot of that type of work. And uh, they have since, they've gone out of business. Uh, but that was a company that, that would supply a lot of that type of material. 
So there was, there was uh, it's 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 an interesting place. And I was there was one guy working on a machine, and I just stopped to talk to him a little bit, and I said to him, uh, "How long have you been here?" He's about my age, I guess. He said, "35 years." I said, "How many people like you that have been here for 20, 30, or so years?" And he said, "A bunch of us." He said, "This is a great place to work." He said, "Yeah, it's still it's working in a factory." He said, there's, there's no there's no luxury about working in a factory, but he said it's it really is a family owned business, and it, it's you don't get that in a lot of big companies. And he said it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty amazing thing. And um, when I was talking to one of the one of the family members, and we were talking about some of the longevity of the people, and I said I'm sure. And he said the same thing. He said, you know, it's still working in a factory. It's working in a warehouse. It's not the most glamorous work in the world. But I said, it's got to be pretty good because you have a lot of employees who have been here for a long time. He said, oh, yeah, we do picnics and, you know, there's barbecue grills outside. So if you want to bring a steak for lunch, you can go outside and barbecue it if you want. He said, we have three or four grills. Uh, you can, you know, he said, we, we encourage our people to, you know, enjoy the work as much as they can. And he said, uh, and I said to him, well, you got to be pretty proud because I'm sure you have bought people houses and cars and because of the steady employment that's here, it's given people a steady paycheck that they've been able to, they've been able to come here and, and do their job and do everything they need to do. So pretty, pretty interesting trip. And I'm, I'm glad I went and saw, uh, they had, they had probably, five or six Jeeps set up um, out in front of the building so we could look at uh, Chrysler's a big uh, big purchaser of their materials and just see what materials were used in, in different places and seeing, you know, we were talking about, well, you look at uh, this material, how does it fold? Does it have creases in it afterwards? And he said, no, no, we, we look at all that. And then we were looking at, we were talking about, we went into one of the labs where they test different products. And there's these machines that take a sample product and stretch it and bend it and stretch it and bend it until it finally breaks. But they said, we also have a whole sort of CSI forensic lab. I said, what do you do with that? And he said, well, when somebody has a problem with the top and they say, well, it's got the stain in it or it's got something happened with it. He said, we can actually tell what happened. So we know when a... Someone, someone had a bunch of suntan lotion on their hand, and they wiped it off on the roof of their car. And then they went, oh, it's got a stain. Then they tried to clean it with alcohol. Then they tried to do something else, and all of a sudden it caused a problem with the top. He said, we can actually break it down and see what the materials were. And he opened up a cabinet, and it had all kinds of stuff in it. It had, you know, olive oil, suntan lotion, uh all kinds of other chemicals. And he said, this is, we, we test all of the materials to try to make them most resistant to as many products as we can to make sure they're going to be okay. So he said, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty interesting part of the business. That's not gigantic rolls of material. And he said, even that has changed, even the shipping of it's changed. And it's very Henry Ford ish. I think Henry Ford required that one of his suppliers, uh, palletize everything in a certain size pallet because they use that pallet for the floorboards of the car, for the Model T. 
So he wanted whatever, I forget whatever it was, whatever it was he wanted in a certain dimension because they would reuse the pallet as the floorboards of the Model T. Well, now companies want the rolls, they only want three-foot wide rolls. He said, we used to have, have four-foot rolls and eight-foot rolls. Oh, he said, some companies want five-foot rolls. Some companies want um, a nine-foot roll cut into three three-foot rolls. And he said, even to the point, the tube in the middle of the roll, some people want a three-inch hole. Some people want a one-inch hole. Depends on the machines they're working on. So he said, it's all about trying to keep keep everything going with the customer. He said, even to the point where when we put stuff on a regular-sized pallet, we put a piece of our material under it so we're not buying cardboard. So he said, it's... Uh, he said we try to be pretty environmentally sensitive about that way. So pretty, pretty fascinating, pretty fascinating uh, factory. And again, kind of a a factory I'd never expected to see in the middle of Acton, Massachusetts. You know, almost in a uh, a residential area. It was a pretty a pretty interesting time. Why don't we take a quick break, pay some bills? When we come back, I want to play this little uh, comedy clip off of YouTube that our friend. Uh, and listener John sent us. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. We'll be right back. I gave a girl a ride in my wagon And she crawled in WROL, the Spare the Boston. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. I promised we would have a uh, little YouTube clip. And the little YouTube clip was brought to us by one of our listeners, John. And it's uh, it's only a couple minutes long. Uh, Keith, you already there? Yep. All righty. Flew into Salt Lake City and drove down here. That on the highway, that's the most mysterious time for me. Trying to keep track of that world around you. How do you keep track of all those car names that are out there? Hundreds of different car names. How am I supposed to keep those all straight? Some cars don't have a name. All they've got is a number. That never made sense to me unless you're trying to get the biggest number. I'll give you an example. Mazda's got a two. They got a three. They got a five. They got a six. Oldsmobile had an 88 and a 98. Chrysler's got a 200 and a 300. Mazda had a 323. Ford had a 500. Mazda had a 626 and a 929. Pontiac had a 1000. Audi's got a 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Pontiac had a 6,000. Saab had a 9,000. Nissan just said to heck with it. Now they make an infinity. <laughs> Top that. Chrysler Mitsubishi's a little nuts. They got a vision, an eclipse, and a mirage. A vision, which is really something to look at. An eclipse, that's something you shouldn't look at. Mirage, something you're not even really looking at. Is that your car? I think so, but I've been fooled before. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little nervous about that. They have cars named for the heart of the big city all the way on out to the sticks. For the inner city, metro, a little further out. Suburban, further out still, town car. One that can't decide, town and country. 
Further out, they got the villager. Beyond that, they got the forester. Beyond the forest, they got the frontier. <laughs> Beyond the frontier, the Yukon, the Denali, the tundra, and the outback. <laughs> and way the heck out there, Mercury and Saturn. <laughs> Plymouth made a reliant. I had one, they call it that, because it made you reliant on public transportation, by golly. <laughs> Can the cars do what their names sound like they can do? And if they can, I guess they can do a lot of different things. Get one that does what you need doing. If you're going someplace and there are no roads, get a Pathfinder or a Trailblazer. <laughs> if nobody's ever been there before, you'll need a Discovery or an Explorer. If you're a little bit lonely, get yourself an Escort. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe an Amigo or a Sidekick. You know, shop around, <laughs> shop around a little bit. Get the car based on the kind of trip you want to take. You want to take a short trip, get a Sprint. A longer trip, a journey. A hopeful trip, get a quest. A long, hard trip, an expedition or an excursion. And if you want to stay away for years, get an odyssey. Get the car based on how you're feeling, you know what I'm saying? Your mood at the time. If you want to be daring, get a venture or an intrepid. If you want to be a gentleman, get a gallant. If you want to go overseas, pick up a passport. If you can't concentrate, get a focus! <laughs> If you have a large, protruding navel, get an Audi. You know, come on. <laughs> if you like to stay in shape, get a fit. If you've sort of let it slide, get an avalanche. <laughs> if you got a score to settle, get an Avenger. If your batteries are low, pick up a charger. And if you're in a horrible marriage, you might think about an escape. So <laughs> an avalanche. And that was Rex Havens. Uh, who uh, who came up with that YouTube clip? So, and again, our friend uh, John, one of our listeners, sent that to me and said he thought it'd be good for the show, and I think it was pretty funny. So, if you'd like to join us this morning, phone lines are open at 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030. We did a little Facebook Live on the AAA uh, Facebook page yesterday, and uh, we got some good questions that were asked. And then some we didn't get to. And we are still running a contest that you can enter. And, I oh, I can't call it a contest. It's a sweepstakes. Because a contest means somebody actually has to do something to win, where a sweepstakes, it's just random. But you do take a little quiz, though. You don't have to get stuff right. But you do take a little quiz. But you can go to uh, AAA.com and you can find the, uh, you can find the uh, uh, section. It's under, uh, it's under car care. And uh, there, you can win. I think there's uh, there's some Shell gas cards, there's some Napa gift cards, there's, there's some stuff to win. So uh, uh, enter to win it. Go to AAA.com and, and go look for it. And you can find the things that I do for AAA under uh, AAA car reviews, or you can find them at, uh, or you can find a place to ask me a question on uh, AAA.com slash car doctor. So you can find stuff there too. Well, one of the, you know some of the questions that we had kind of from the last time, and we answered some of these, but not all of these, was can I switch from conventional oil to synthetic oil in my 10-year old car? Should I actually do it? Well, I'm a believer in synthetic oil. I think synthetic oil uh, allows the car to start easier in cold weather. It tends to be quieter in cold weather. Uh, I think it's just... Uh, 
I think it lubricates better in cold weather. I think it just does just does overall a little bit better job. Um, does it mean you can actually expand your or lengthen your oil change intervals? No. If the manufacturer says seventy five hundred miles, seventy five hundred miles. That's how much you want to you want to uh, you want to change the oil. Uh, you don't want to go longer than that because if you do, you could potentially void the war. You could potentially void the warranty. So you don't want to do that. So I got an email from somebody with a Subaru that said, and this is where it kind of got a little bit interesting. Uh, their owner's manual says change the oil at seven thousand at six thousand miles. The Subaru dealer said change the oil at five thousand miles. I looked up in all data, which I've had extremely good luck looking up. Uh, all kinds of maintenance and different intervals and all that sort of stuff. And um, and it was uh, it, it's when we looked when we looked up how long to change the oil in the Subaru, it was 7,500 miles. So I said to the guy, well, the dealer says 5,000, the owner's manual says six. All data, which usually gets all its information from the vehicle manufacturer, says 7,500. I said, but I would go with what the owner's manual says. Then I looked in another source. I also have access to something called Mitchell. Mitchell is a company that they've been producing manuals and all kinds of things forever and ever and ever. And Mitchell has the same types of thing. I find it a little bit I don't use it as often, so I don't find it as easy to use as all data. But they actually had 6,000 miles. So, based on the owner's manual and what Mitchell said, I suggested 6,000. And this person was kind of, well, yeah, but I thought 6,000 seems awful low. Can I still change my oil? Can I stretch my oil changes? And although you probably could, if you, if the engine's under warranty, well, you're going to void the warranty if you go longer than what the oil change interval is. So it's not a good idea. Um, so it doesn't make sense to do that. It makes sense to change the oil when it's supposed to be changed. That, in this case, 6,000 miles. And Subaru uses, right from the factory, this newer Subaru, uses synthetic oil. That's what you're supposed to use in it. And again, I like synthetic oil. Would I put it in a 10-year-old car? Yeah. Now, where it can be a bit of a problem... And I've only seen this once or twice, and, and in one case it was an Acura. Now, it was an Acura with 150,000 miles on it. And the person who owned the car said, no, I would really like to put synthetic oil in it. But whenever I do, the rear seal leaks a little bit, just a drip. They said, when I put conventional oil in, it doesn't. Well, because synthetic oil tends to flow better, and it gets in places where regular oil doesn't. So... He's like, as much as I want to use synthetic oil, I don't want to see a drip in the driveway, so I don't use it. Occasionally, you'll run into a problem like that. And what happens is a synthetic oil will tend to, it doesn't cause leaks, but it will find leaks. And because it's a, a, a an oil that flows a little easier, you could have a little bit of a problem. In my old car, my wife's old car, we use synthetic oil pretty much exclusively. Um, to the point where I think my car, I used it from 15,000 miles on up. My wife's car, I used it all the time. Her old car before that, uh, I think once it had 
I don't know, 20,000 miles on it. And we went through the free oil changes from the car dealership. I put synthetic oil in. And always always thought it, start, it started easier. It sounded quieter in really cold weather. You didn't get any engine noise. Uh, and uh, the one car, we, the Volkswagen we have now, synthetic oil is required right from the factory. The other car we have, synthetic oil is not required. It came with three free oil changes. Uh, we have taken advantage of two. The third one, probably pretty soon. And then once that's done, I'll probably switch over to synthetic oil. I would prefer to put synthetic oil in it now, but I asked them one time about, can we put synthetic oil in? And they're like, yeah, we can. But And it sounded like you were paying for the oil and they were keeping the old oil. So I said, well, I won't do that. Question that came up when we did answer this yesterday. My father insists on filling my car with premium gas every few fill-ups um, because it will clean the engine. Is it good for my car? Do I need to do that, or is regular gas at every fill-up okay? Regular gas is fine, but there is a difference in all kinds of kind of we'll call them wacky uh, reasons to do things. People thought premium gas has a higher concentration of additives in it than regular. Well, that could be true. Uh, but even the regular gas has a minimum amount of additives. Some vehicle manufacturers, uh, BMW, for instance, some GM cars, uh, recommend fuel called top-tier fuel. Top-tier fuel has a higher level of additives in it than non-top-tier fuel. So that could be mobile, could be Citgo, could be BP. Um, and they'll have sometimes they'll have a little sticker right on the pump that says top-tier fuel. And top-tier fuel will um, help keep the engine a little bit cleaner. And it's in, that fuel is in every, is in every grade of gasoline. So if your car needs 87, go to where they sell top-tier fuel, get that. And do you have to use it all the time? Ideally, that would be best. Do you need to use it all the time? Well, it actually has an interesting effect because it will um, clean where dirty fuel has left deposits. So it so it can so it can work and it can kind of help. So top tier fuel is something that's good. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Somebody else said, "How often should my tires be rotated?" Whatever the owner's manual says, five thousand, seven thousand, ten thousand. I stopped at a Firestone store this morning, and there were actually uh, somebody came in and wanted to rotate their tires and. Um, they uh, they said uh, yeah we can we can do that. Our phone number again six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Do I rotate the tires on my own car very often? Only if it comes with a free oil change. <laughs> I kind of skip over that. Keith, I guess we got a call, right? Yes, Mike from Hingham. Well, let's talk to Mike in Hingham. Michael. Morning. Yes, sir. Hey, morning, car doctor. How you hey, doing? Good. Uh, How are you? Good. Uh, uh, comment and question. I'm not a big person for additives. But every at least twice a year, I put Tektron into all my cars. Uh, I've been doing that for years. Uh, I think that's a that's a good product for you know gas stabilization and gas cleaning. I don't know what your thoughts on that are. Well, it's it's an interesting product because when Corvette came out with their first time they ever had fuel injection, and I'm going to say it was what was that, 58 or nine or 60 or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, a bottle of Tecron came in the glove compartment. 
I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. yeah. I, I didn't know. I know yeah. that old. Okay. Yeah. It's an old yeah. Chevron product. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's been around forever, and it was around because those early fuel injected cars had a lot of caused a lot of fuel deposits. And Tecron, the the two fuel injecting products that have been around forever and ever are Tecron and a company called um, uh, I think it's BG. They've been around okay. for a long time as well. I think they're actually headquartered in Seekonk or something. But uh, but good fuel injector cleaners. Since then, uh, a lot of people have gone to a product uh, called Seafoam that have had good luck with it. Uh, uh, but I think Tecron, Tecron's just an additive. Um, it's I think it does a good job. Uh, I use I use it in our cars once or twice a year. Uh, you know, if I'm in an auto parts store and I happen to walk by and I see it, you know, two bottles for fifteen ninety five or something, I'm like, yep, good time to yep. buy it. And uh, I, 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 other products, you know, other mechanic in a can products, I'm not a big fan of. I don't think most of them work. I mean, somebody sent me something about a uh, a, uh, uh, a transmission sealer. They wanted to know what I thought of it. I had never heard of it. Uh, you know, I did a little research online. It got some pretty good reviews on on Amazon and some others, but I'm like, um, you know, usually all the stuff, all it does is things like that swell up seals. But I think adding the additive uh, to the to the car once or twice a year, I, I think is money well spent, and I think it helps keep the fuel injection and combustion chambers clean. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, I, I hear too many times of cars at dealerships and repair shops and like, oh, you know, it's a good, why don't we do a combustion chamber cleaning while we're here? I, I got to tell you, if, unless there's a real problem, I think that's a lot of nonsense. And I think using top tier fuel or or regular fuel and adding Tecron a couple times, a couple times a year, I think helps prevent that sort of stuff. I've never had a fuel problem, so I mean that must be part of it. Yep. And I hope they still don't make STP anymore with these new engines. <laughs> <laughs> the old honey in a, in a can. Well, hey, yeah, my question it, for well, you is I will, update. I, I will say something about STP though, um, yep. and this is this goes back uh, must be forty years ago. Um, I knew a guy who used to put STP in his car every oil change, and on his way home from somewhere. The oil light came on. And I always used to say to him, what do what you put that crap in your car for? What's wrong with you? He said, oh, no, it's good stuff. And, I, you know, I, I used to just watch him stand there and watch it drip out of the can and go, the only thing yeah. that stuff's good for is to to uh, to uh, wipe it on a camshaft before you install it. And um, the but, but he's like, no, no, it's good stuff. I have all kinds of faith in it. And one day on the way home from somewhere, the oil light came on in his car. And it was a, I, I don't, I don't remember when it was, but I remember it was a 318 Chrysler. And I don't know why I would even remember that. But uh, the oil light came on. And he stopped and checked the oil level, and the oil was full. And he said the engine sounded quiet, and uh, he's like, "Oh, it must be a bad oil sender." So when he came back to work on Monday or Tuesday, he had still been driving the car, and he uh, he brought the car in, pulled the oil sender out, screwed an oil gauge in, zero oil pressure. Wow. And he's like, and he's like, geez, I, I figured. I, so he ended up putting an oil pump in the car. Oil pressure came back up where it was. Never, ever, never any wear and tear. And he attributed it to all those years of using STP. That it just gooped up the inside of the engine so much that it didn't need oil to make it run. 
Correct. Well, I, I'm going back to this 50 years ago when I was in the service, and I remember a guy from West Virginia. He went home on leave, and he remember, told me a story that he was in his backyard looking at some old engine blocks that he probably had in the early 60s, mm-hmm. that he used STP. And he looked at them, the things were rusted except for the cylinders. They were still bright and shiny. Mm. Yeah, I mean— Still it, bright and shiny. Yeah. In the yeah. back of his farm in West Virginia because yeah. of the STP. So I guess Andy Granatelli had a good idea. Uh, well, yeah. Andy didn't put a lot of that in his race cars. <laughs> you're right. Use they, turbines they, instead. They, well, they 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 claim they claim he put you know even even though that was supposed to be what what was it uh, uh, you know everybody had everybody had a term for what STP stood for and but right. uh, but the claim the claim was he scientific treated uh, petroleum right right and uh, but everybody claimed that he put about an ounce of that into the engines just so he could say he used it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, question for you. Yeah. Hey, update. Where are we with the hands-free bill? Uh, it is stumbling around. Uh, it has not gone anywhere. Uh, the, uh, it looked like it was going to pass a couple weeks ago. I think it's, there's another hearing on it in the next, I think in the next week or so. Uh, so it is, uh, it's been just, it's been just stumbling around along with, you know, the hands-free bill. There was a couple other ones, uh, out there at the same time and, uh, it's, it's going nowhere. Uh, it, it's, uh. I think it's about the same place that primary seatbelt laws are right now, and and the governor the governor is in favor of hands free. He he never was, but uh, he's he's gotten some education and said, yeah, there's too much texting going on. There's too many people staring at their phones. There's too many people looking at, you know, Facebook videos and YouTube and all that sort of stuff while they're driving. And the uh, and the police officers I deal with are like, you know, every time we go to pull somebody over that's got their phone in their hand. Uh, they always go. Well, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't texting. I was just dialing a phone number. And he said, and they all, and they all kind of go. You know, if we had a hands-free bill, we'd have a better shot at being able to tell somebody they can't do it anymore. So it's, they would lose that con- that confusion. So, I think it's eventually going to happen. I mean, it's almost an embarrassment that every state around us has a hands-free law and Massachusetts doesn't. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what the legislature's hang-up is, but maybe we can. I can write a letter or something. But uh, uh, yeah. Anyways, thank well, you very much well, for always ne- taking my time, phone call, time, and have a great weekend. Next time we go to the hearing, we'll call you up. Please, I'll go. You, you I'll bring a sign. You, you okay? can come to the hearing. An, yeah. old, an old sandwich sign. There you okay? go. All right. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care, Mike. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030. Let's uh, talk to Paul. Paul and Braintree. Let's talk to Paul and Braintree. Paul, good morning. Hi. Good morning, John. Hi. Um, the... Um, can you hear me? Yeah, it's can hear me. Oh, okay, good. So, the line was so good, I, I didn't think we were connected. The uh, uh, I signed a I signed a petition the other day uh, at uh, at a local stop and shop, and it has something to do with fixing some loopholes in the right to repair bill. Apparently, uh, the manufacturers are trying to get around it. Do you know anything about it? Yeah, here's here, when when right to repair was. And right to repair has been around for a long, long time. Uh, but back in uh, 2013, there was a law, it, it, there was actually a ballot question. The ballot question said uh, we should pass a law that says that independent repair shops have the same level of access to repair and service information as car dealerships do. Now, I didn't write the law, and if I did, I wouldn't have said that. I would have actually said 
they should have the same level of access to information as the car manufacturers do because I believe that someday that car dealer and one of the things I learned from uh, working on this bill and I don't do legal legal or political stuff um, is car dealers and the auto manufacturers hate each other they're sure. you know I always thought that car dealers and the and the people who made the cars loved each other no they don't they actually don't like each other at all because uh, the auto manufacturers make them buy stuff they don't want to buy and the and the the car dealers do stuff that the manufacturers don't like so they get they get all aggravated with each other so um, so it's it's one of those things and and the law did pass and the law says that um, uh, any service and repair information that is made available to the dealer can be made available to the aftermarket so you know whether it's uh, Sullivan Tire or Joe's Exxon or you know Bob and Ray's Garage it doesn't matter they can go on a website and they can find the same service and repair information as every 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 car manufacturer has but what was excluded from that in what was called a carve out is that any information that could be wire that could be transmitted wirelessly is exempt from the law so if you can plug your scanner into the car you have access to the information the car produces and you can also bring information to the car that way but if it if that port under the dash goes away and everything's done wirelessly that's going to go back and exempt the independent dealers from doing that I don't know that that's 100% true, but there's a possibility. The other part of this is, and I believe this, that right to repair also has to do with marketing as much as it has to do with getting your car repaired because everything is about trying to sell somebody something, right? Sure. And uh, your car transmits a whole lot of information about you. Your car basically knows how much you weigh when you get in it, because it. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> uh, it you know you know one of these days my car is gonna you know when I get in it and I go into, and and it's gonna know when I go into Dunkin' Donuts it's gonna remind me not to get the donut and just get the coffee and don't put any sugar in it, because it's gonna say you know you're heavier now than you were a month ago, um, but it's also you know to the point where if you had say say you had satellite radio, and there was a song that came up. And you tag the song or the artist, and it would so you would know when that song came up again. Well, um, Ticketmaster could all of a sudden you amazingly, just like your your computer at home or your phone, uh, amazingly all of a sudden you get a uh, advertisement about tickets going on sale. Um, the the auto manufacturer also knows kind of kind of what the story is if. If it can be transmitted, if it can be read, it can be transmitted. So if you can read it with a scanner, if you can read, if you can read how many amps of electricity the starter's using to crank over, that information can also be transmitted somewhere. Um, and auto manufacturers will have the luxury of knowing that while well, your car takes 140 amps of electricity to crank the engine over every single day. All of a sudden, 
One day it took 180, one day it took 200, and it can send you an email that says, hey, Paul, you know, the starter on your car is starting to go bad. You ought to come in. In fact, we've made an appointment for you for next Thursday. And that's where this this wireless carve-out thing sort of happens. The part the problem is that I'm not sure where all the information goes and how anybody's going to have access to it. You know, the the idea is that the manufacturer is going to put it in a cloud somewhere and the owner of the car will own the information and the auto manufacturer will own the information and the owner of the car can say I want to share it with Bill's repair shop. That way, and you give Bill a code, and he can go in, and he can actually read the information that your car has been transmitting. So to the point where he can even read that information whenever. I mean, AAA was interested in the wireless part of it because it would help us with location of people's cars when they break down. Because if the car has the ability to transmit, transmit a signal and we could read it, We'd know you were broken down on the corner of Spruce and Goose Street, even though you thought you were broken down on the corner of Goose and Marathon Road. So um, so we would have a better idea of where you were located. So that's kind of one of the reasons we're interested in it. We also know that um, at any point the, um, the vehicle manufacturers could say, yeah, well, I don't know if we want to share this wireless information. So so even though there was, it was sort of a... It was sort of a loophole um, of sorts. Uh, some some uh, some independent shops felt they had all the information they needed; they didn't need any more. Uh, some um, some of the state reps actually felt that the independent shops had all of it. And then, you know, where where I am the most unpolitical person in the world, and I hear a state rep say, "Well, I'm not in favor of it," and you kind of look at their their um, their area and you go wow look at that there's 15 big big new car dealers in their in their region is that why they're not in favor of it i don't know um so it's 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 going to be interesting to tell um part of the emissions laws that were passed years ago um anything that has to do with vehicle emissions is going to be it's going to be available to anybody so any repair shop can have emissions information. But now we're fixing cars with software changes. So what happens is a, a window that doesn't go up and down right, um, you go in and you tell the, you tell the computer to, to put more amperage into the window motor so it goes up and down properly. Uh, so you didn't replace the motor. You just told it to use more electricity. And there's stuff like that, that that's part of, part of this whole you know, law as it's going to change. I mean, right now, any independent repair shop can go on Toyota's website. They can down, download a software update for a particular computer. If they have the right tools, they can use that tool and they can, and it's kind of a sort of a universal tool and they can reflash the computer with the latest update, which should correct some problems. Um, but not everybody does it. And this this may take away... If that port goes away under the dash, this may take away some of those shops' abilities to do that work. Wow. Is it, is, now, I don't know whether this is a, just a petition and, and it will go on the ballot in a year if they get enough signatures, I should Well, and, that, and, that's, and that's the thought. And, but, uh, the, and, again, this is where I don't understand politics. 
Um, from what I understand, state representatives hate ballot questions because it, what it basically does is it, it circumvents their authority. Mm-hmm. So they never like seeing ballot questions, and they would rather kind of look at it in their own speed and have their own thought processes behind it rather than have I mean, and that's what happened. That's what happened in 2013 was there was a ballot question, and the ballot question passed. And I'm kind of making this up because I don't remember exactly. 89 to 11. Mm. You know, so it was. You know, it was as much of a landslide as you could have. The other problem is, it shouldn't be a state-specific law. What happened when the law passed in Massachusetts? There was a memorandum of understanding across 49 other states that said this information is will be made available in every other state. Uh, it should be a national it should be a national bill. It shouldn't be a local bill. And again, this is where I don't pretend to understand anything that has to do with politics. But from what I understand, the hearing for right to repair has been postponed till January. So I think what the uh, people behind the um, the new right to repair, the wireless right to repair bill are doing are kind of getting their kind of ducks in a row with some with some signatures on ballots just to see what will happen. Yeah, so that yeah, I added my name for for better or worse yeah. to see what happens. No, there, there's a there's a there's a uh, it's um, the 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 lobbying firm that's behind uh, right to repair is a company called Hickey and Associates, Brian Hickey. Um, and he works with uh, he works with uh, some of the big uh, parts manufacturers and aftermarket suppliers. Uh, they're sort of on that team, but then the car manufacturers are dead set against it. Um, and there's a few other groups that are kind of dead set against it. I haven't actually sat down and looked to see who's in favor and who's against right now. Uh, but I never quite understood why. Uh, for instance, in Massachusetts, there was a there was a group of independent service providers that, when I first met with them, they were a hundred percent in favor. In fact, there was one guy who talked who told a story about he had a customer with a Mercedes and needed a headlight. They diagnosed the headlight. They got a price on the headlight. It was seven hundred dollars. They put the headlight in. They couldn't make it work. So they sent it to the Mercedes dealer where they had to reflash the computer to tell the computer that there was a new headlight in the car to make it work. And the the person went to him because the dealer originally wanted $1,200 or so. And then he, it ended up being about $1,000 by the time the, the dealer did their job and he did his job to get this to work. And he's like, that's why we need right to repair. And about... A year later, he's like, no, we don't. We don't need right to repair. And either he became educated and learned more about how to fix Mercedes headlights or someone paid him to say that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so I, why do I, why do I think the second is more, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't. I don't know whether, you know, I, I heard that I heard that with somebody else that, you know, somebody else said they when they were against it, all of a sudden they got sort of an inside line to be able to be able to uh, to get the answers to questions they couldn't get answers to before. If they sort of switched their opinion, um, I, you know, I, I, I hate to think those things happen, but I guess 
I this is where this is where I this is where I try to totally ignore politics. I wish I could, but yeah, uh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you read my Facebook. <laughs> I've, re- I've and, read your Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah you you, yeah. you realize yeah. it's uh, it's it's uh, therapy, <laughs> uh, the uh, chief therapy. The uh, on, on a happier subject, I hope. Uh, you, you were talking about hearts and I, um, the convertible people. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, of all things, I got a, uh, uh, a Hemmings Motor News uh, Facebook ad, I guess, okay. for upcoming auctions. And uh, I didn't have to subscribe. Mm-hmm. Least, maybe not yet. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it'll have my name, and I'll probably have 10 things on there this morning. One of the things that I scrolled down was a totally restored 1953 uh, package. Uh, Caribbean or mm-hmm. Caribbean convertible, mm-hmm. and if you read down on the specifications, they say it has a new Hearts convertible top. Uh, I sent you a picture of it. At least oh, the back okay. Part of it. So yeah. if you open it up, it's uh, uh, I think it's a like a, a light blue, very nice, beautiful car. Mm. Um, only has a two-speed transmission. Which I, well, I well, you know the uh, you know it wasn't all that unusual years years ago for. A lot. In fact, the, one of the very first GM automatic transmissions was technically it was only a one-speed transmission. They didn't really? tell. They didn't tell anybody. You know, it. Was, uh, it uh, but then what? Then what happened was uh, it, it went to these. Uh, you know, the GM GM was big on the Power Glide transmission. It was a two-speed Dynamo, transmission. Yeah. yeah, and 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 those transmissions were actually you know kind of kind of were a stable for a really long time. In fact, that was a transmission that was used in racing for a very long period of time. Uh, it, it, just did, uh, it just did such a good job that, that, that it's, it's still around to this day, in fact. So, um, so it's, it is, it is uh, a transmission that's been around. But, yeah, I think, uh, I, I think when I was at Hearts, they sort of mentioned, they sort of mentioned there was a story about, uh, about a car that was restored with an original Hearts top. And you see some of the old car ads when you look through them. It'll be very specific. It'll say original Hearts top or original replacement Hearts top. And they will go back They'll go back as far as they can. In fact, one of the Hearts brothers, who's, um, you know, who, who, that's what he specializes in, trying to reproduce these, uh, these old tops for people and, and uh, make the cars as original as they can. So again, it's kind of a, it's kind of an, uh, I don't know. It, I you I, somehow I never would have expected this company that does this pretty cool stuff to just sort of show up and uh, show up in uh, Acton, Massachusetts. It's kind of funny, and I let you go. But the um, I'm old enough to remember uh, there were con- several convertible top replacement companies. I think one might have been on. Uh, off of Morrissey Boulevard, I think. Anyway, somewhere in Dorchester. Yep. Uh, my mother had a uh, old Ford uh, convertible, mm-hmm. and I think as a little kid, the roof needed, the uh, top needed yep. to be replaced. Yep. And uh, it was not a big thing. You just yep. went there mm-hmm. and and they fixed it. But yep. um, there, you know, there aren't many convertibles left, I guess. And so the, the, they they dry up sort of like. Midas muffler shops, I guess. Yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, it, it it was one. I I remember the same thing. I everybody, you know, I grew up on the South Shore, and you know, everybody went to get interiors done. They went to uh, they went to one place or another, and uh, there was always there was Bob's always Auto Top was one. Yeah, I yeah. Oh, uh, there was, yeah, there was there was Nick's was was one. There was uh, uh, and and what happens? What happens? They just sort of uh, they sort of disappeared a little bit. Uh, when my my wife's top actually failed under warranty, uh, 
and the dealer sent it to a uh, a, a little obscure auto top place down in I don't know, rent them somewhere, and I swear they had the car for a month, and it was only a day's worth of work to get it done, and I'm still not comfortable about this guy, but but they were the only ones they could find to do it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, if anybody's uh, interested, uh, the current auction bid on that uh, uh, 1953 package Caribbean Caribbean is eighty thousand dollars. So. Yeah. So is it? So it. When I go to the Caribbean, do I go to the Caribbean or the Caribbean? I have. I always said. What did I say? Caribbean. I don't think I always said Caribbean. See, I, yeah. See, I think I say Caribbean, but I'm not going anywhere, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, well, yeah. neither am I. And uh, when I have a, a a Coke or a ginger ale, I call it tonic. So, you know, well, well, don't, don't rely on me. Well, <laughs> Let's talk about. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really drink that stuff anymore. But it was always tonic yeah, to either. me. And I remember being, um, and my wife and I were were on an airplane somewhere, and we both. Ordered, ordered a tonic, and we got tonic water. And we're like, oh, this is awful. And we're like, oh yeah, I guess we're not in Boston anymore. So yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. Yeah, well, well you know, I'll uh, still. I, I, there's nothing like a good cold tonic with my sub. They're not. They're absolutely. Not, they're, they're not grind. They're not grinders. They're not hoagies. They're subs. And it's better than having pop. I did exactly. All right, Paul. Great program. All right, Thank you. take care. Bye bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty is how you get through. Why don't we take another break? Pay some bills. My name is John Paul. The phone lines are open. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. You're listening to the Car Doctor Program, your one stop shop for car advice. One stop stop. I don't know. You know what I mean. We'll be right back. Listen to him talk, my poor 26 superstar. Tackle the desert, Jeter sleeps. Superstar, superstar. She's hiding from the desert, Jeter sleeps. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. I'm 950 WRL, the spirit of Austin. Well, our phone number is 617 770 3030. Let's talk to. Rick from Boston. We haven't talked to him in a while. Rick, good morning. Yeah, I've been kind of busy on Saturdays and that. So, um, I could I could tell. I could tell. So <laughs> somehow somehow I could just feel it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I was out of state. <laughs> <laughs> good morning. 
Actually, um, two things. One's kind of funny and one's serious. All right. Uh, kind of funny. Um, I was in a waiting room of a hospital yesterday, and I was talking with one of the women there, and I mentioned that my Indian was out in the parking lot. And she looks at me really strange like, I said, an Indian motorcycle. And she goes like, oh, oh, okay, I thought you had a totem pole or something like that out there. <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised she didn't say, oh, we don't use that term. We only use Native American. Uh-huh. And that, so, uh, and that, but, um, seriously, uh, Wednesday I was riding my motorcycle and we're still out there. We're still riding. Yep. I've got a chapter meeting tonight and, um, I had this guy decide to run a red light because uh, he didn't want to wait there while, while I was turning. Did he hit you? Uh, no, he didn't. I, I saw him and stopped in time in that. But just the fact that, uh, you know, motorcycles are still out there. You need to, you need to pay oh, attention. Motorcycles are out there year round. You know, the, I know. Maybe maybe not as much in the winter time, but they're still out there in the winter time too. And and uh, I, I absolutely agree that you you have to pay attention. And I saw you know I was I was down in Duxbury yesterday talking to a group of people, and and one of the little bits of advice I said to people was. Um, when the light turns, when the light turns from uh, from uh, red to green, take a take a breath. You know, take take a second, take a breath because it never fails. There's going to be somebody that's going to try to ride through, you know, ride through that red li- red light. And uh, coming home from the radio station here a couple weeks ago, um, I was uh, I saw a guy. Uh, as soon as the, as soon as the light turned green, he was on the gas right away from the light, and a guy in a pickup truck blew through the red light. And I don't know what caused them not to crash into each other. They had to miss each other just by, literally by, millimeters. And you know, and you know, if that guy was one second slower or faster in either direction, that would have been a horrible crash. So, oh yeah, and that. Uh, yep. No, no you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. There's a four-way stop uh, when I was coming home from that. uh, I'm a volunteer at a VA hospital. And when I was coming home from the hospital yesterday, you know, I saw two cars that were both on the side of the road. The police and the fire were there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's uh, you got to be careful out there. I mean, we haven't added we haven't added a whole bunch of roads and we've added a lot more traffic to the roadways. So. Uh, you you have to be you you know everybody has to be careful everybody has to share the road I uh, I was talking to a reporter the other day and he was talking about bicycle riders and and I said you know kind of the same you know it's it's same road same road same rules and you whether you're a bicycle rider or a motorcycle rider or you know somebody in a vehicle you we all have to follow the rules of the road and when we don't that's where that's where the problems happen. So if it's somebody blowing through a red light, somebody on a bicycle riding down the street the wrong way, uh, somebody on a bicycle, you know, going through a red light. I saw a guy. Now he was a delivery guy on a bicycle in Boston about a month ago. Um, you know, pedaling like crazy, blew through one red light, about ready to go through the next red light, and all of a sudden the guy, uh, you know, a, a guy went to turn right on red. And the guy slammed right into the back of him. Well, he slammed right into the back of him because this guy, this guy just wasn't paying attention. It wasn't like it was a right hook, you know. He was he, the guy in the bicycle was just uh, almost up on the sidewalk trying to pass cars, and this guy, this guy turned right. Fortunately, nobody got hurt, 
Uh, but it was, uh, but it was just, it, just a bad situation. So everybody's just gonna, everybody's gonna relax and yeah, follow, was, follow all the rules. A few, a few years ago, I was working, and the light turned green. I pulled forward in my work truck, and this bicyclist ran, had run a red light, and oh, I yeah. caught him in the rear tire. Yeah, no. And unfortunately, all he got was a couple of scrapes when he landed on the road, and that. Yeah. It could have been more serious, but I had to call my boss. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, come no. out. They do an investigation. Fortunately, yep. uh, another guy that I uh, worked with witnessed the accident, and he said, "Yeah, I had a red light. He had a green light. The bicyclist had a red light, and yep. the bicyclist admitted that he ran the red light yep. to my boss. Yep. So I wasn't in trouble, but yep. it's still it's scary. Oh yeah. No, you're absolutely right, Rick. Always a good reminder coming from you. Yep, have a good one, John. You Bye. too. Yep, bye-bye. Let's go. What are we doing there? Who are we going with? Let's see. We'll go with, uh, let's see, in order. Um, so so David from Needham hung up. Okay. So let's go to Paul from Chelsea. All right. Let's talk to Paul in Chelsea then. Okay. Oh, wait. Hold on. Where is he? Uh, I don't know. Here he is. I don't know. You, you only know. Here we go. Here we go. Paul, good morning. Hello. 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 Hey, John. Hey, how are you? Hey, buddy, Rich Rutten. Hey, hey, Rich, how are you? Oh, really? Oh, Good. Uh, John, an interesting dilemma here. Uh, my nine-year-old's Horta Corolla came up with a tire pressure sensors. I'm um, going to replace both of them, okay? Okay. In the fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're three different prices, okay? The dealer wants $161 for yep. one sensor, okay? Yep. A, a tire place that you advertise on your show wants $80. Yep. And the third place I went to where the diagnosis. $160. So I just want to know, what's your opinion about the uh, three prices? Well, uh, for somebody who for somebody who always goes with the cheapest and then ends up buying the better one afterwards, I'd go with the middle. Go with um, the middle, really? Yeah. Well, chances are here. Here's the deal: the factory the factory sensor is a factory sensor. It's a it's a high quality sensor. It's the same one that got put in there right right from the factory. Good, yep. good quality. You can't go wrong with it. The second one is probably a Bartek sensor or a Dill sensor or some some valve manufacturer who makes this sensor. Those are those are really good. You can you can go on Amazon and you can buy a set of four for like forty bucks, but they're they're crap. They're not going to work good. So uh-huh. I would rather go with uh, you know a good repair shop that says, hey, look. You know, we'll put a sensor in. We'll stand behind it. Something happens to it. And the the kind of universal ones are programmable, so that same sensor doesn't just fit in a Toyota. It could fit in a, it could fit in a Chevy, for that matter. But they have to mm-hmm. go in and they have to program it. And once it's programmed, then it's then it's in good shape. The factory the factory ones last somewhere between seven to ten years because they have batteries in them, and over time the battery wears out. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you, and you can't replace the battery, so. You know, in an ideal situation, you could just say, "I don't care if the low tire light's on. I have a, I have a five dollar tire gauge, and I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, you know, check the tire pressure every month or so." Yeah, well, I know, but I don't, yeah. I don't want to drive the light on all yeah. the time. Yeah, know, either, I, either I do, have it out. Either do I. When I when I sold my old car, I bought four tires for it before mm-hmm. I, before I, because I wasn't planning on selling it. I was planning on keeping it, and I said to the, uh, I said to the. Uh, 
uh, person was going to buy it, my suggestion would be go spend a couple hundred dollars and put four tire pressure sensors in this car when you have the four tires put on because there'll be no labor involved. They'll just put them in and you'll be good to go. Well, yep. she never did that. And and the light would go off and then it would come back on. It would go off and it would come back on. And she would say to me, uh, she would say to me, uh, yeah, that stupid light's back on. And I said, I told you to put the sensors in. I don't like driving around with the light on either, so I agree with you. Okay, yeah. so if I wanted a sixty-dollar sensor, I mean, it'd still be good. The car was nine years old. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I I might go with the like I said, I might go with the middle price one only because it may just be a little bit better quality than, mm-hmm. the, than the cheapest one out there. That's 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 the only thing. Oh, I and, and, and believe me, I, I'm cheap. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't like spending extra money either. But no, but I, no, no, but no, I know you are, yeah. but that's okay. All right, <laughs> all right, all right, John, all right have, have a good day. All right, you too. Bye bye now. Uh, we'll let uh, we'll let Keith get caught up with the phones here for just a minute until we figure out what we're doing. And in the meantime, I want to talk about the car that I drove around a little bit in the last week or so, and that was the Volkswagen Golf Sport Wagon. It's a front-wheel drive compact wagon that comes in a variety of configurations. The base model is powered by a 1.4-liter four-cylinder engine with a manual transmission or automatic option. Other models can get the little more powerful 1.8-liter with either a conventional six-speed or dual-clutch automatic. In addition, all-wheel drive is also an option. Both engines use a turbocharger to boost power. Our road test was in the all-wheel drive version with the six-speed manual transmission. That's right, a manual transmission. Almost forgot how to drive one. Today's manual transmission is becoming increasingly rare. In fact, while I had this Golf, I went to an event with a valet, and the, uh, and the first valet... Had to find one of his co-workers to drive the car because he couldn't. He didn't drive a standard transmission. This was down in Newport when I went to a, a dinner one night. So um, it was kind of funny watching him go, uh-oh. Had to go find someone else to do it. Um, I like these cars a lot. The controls are simple. It feels like if you've ever been in a Volkswagen, you know what's going on. Uh, everything's, everything's well done. Volkswagen makes some of the best interiors there are. Um, this was a pretty basic car. It had the cloth interior. I liked it a lot better than the simulated leather interior in most of the Golfs. I always find those a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, the Golf Sport Wagon, it maybe isn't so sporty. Um, even with the larger engine, it isn't a sports car, but it is still fun to drive. Uh, the six-speed transmission makes it fun. It handles like a sports car. It just could use, it's 167 horsepower. Yeah, it could use a little bit more. Um, ride, I thought it was really comfortable. Um, I'm driving a performance SUV today, and oof, over, over our less-than-perfect roads, it is shocking. Uh, fuel economy was quite good. I averaged about 33 miles per gallon with a mix of about 75% highway driving. Our test car came back with the optional driver assistance package that included front collision warning with automatic braking, pedestrian detection, rear cross traffic alert, and blind spot detection. It never falls to any times I had it as opposed to some other cars, this one this today. Um, it seems to false a lot. The Volkswagen Sport Wagon proves that small wagons can be fun to drive and replace larger SUVs. The optional four-motion all-wheel drive system should be able to tame New England winters. If you're looking for a compact car that's fun to drive, economical, able to handle trips to the home improvement store, I think it's worth a look. Base price, $21,000. Pretty pretty decent price. All right, Keith, where are we going? What are we doing? Uh, let's do Paul from Chelsea. All right. We're going to try Paul from Chelsea this time. Paul, is that you? Yes. Yes, sir. 
John, I want to talk to you about uh, car batteries and jump starts. All right. And uh, years ago, the rule was that I think one one cold cranking amp for every cubic inch. Yep. Now you got you got uh, you got no cubic inches and hundreds and hundreds of cold cranking amps. Correct, and you and you also when you buy a jump start, it goes uh, peak amps and regular amps. Right. How do you know which one to buy? Which uh, which one of the little jump start boxes to buy? You mean? Yeah, not the jump. Oh, start the actual box, battery. You know, the actual battery, yeah. I I, what, always, I always convert amps to cold cranking amps. Yeah, I always just look at cold cranking amps. Okay. Uh, just cranking amps are, are cranking amps are measured at at thirty two degrees. Cold cranking amps are measured at zero. Okay. And that's kind of the standard is to measure CCA cold cranking amps, and that's sort of universal. So when you're out buying a battery, and if your battery in your car, say you're say it's a factory battery in your car, and it's 500 cold cranking amps, it's always good to get at least what's in there, if not a little bit higher bat higher capacity battery. If you're so out, you mean, go ahead. You mean the battery? That's in my car. If I look at it, I can see how many cold cranking amps it has. It should have a it should have a tag on there somewhere, and it should tell you what it is. It should have some kind of little serial number tag on there or something. And the other thing you can do, if you're a AAA member, we'll come out and test your battery for you. We'll let you know what kind of shape it's in, and we'll tell you what that battery was. Because what we do, there's a scan code on there. We can actually scan it with a tablet or a phone, and we can know what the what that battery was to start off with, and that's how we know how to how it tests how we compare the testing to it. Well, what what if I want to buy a battery jump start? How do I know how many amps I need? Oh, you mean uh, what do you mean battery jump start? I'm not sure what you mean. You know, uh, a jump start. Oh, one of those one of those jump start boxes. You mean is that what you mean? No, no, a, a heavy one. You know, it's got a battery in it. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and it usually comes. The one I have says 450 amps and 900 peak amps. How do I know that it's good enough to do my car? Because it's 400 amps, and you're and remember you're you're jumping a car that has a battery in it that has some capacity left in it. Yes. So you could probably jumpstart that with a with a with a jump with a jump box that was only a couple hundred amps because you're, all you're doing is adding to what's already there. Okay. So you're, you know, you're in pretty good shape. But if you have, if you have one that is uh, 400 amps and 900 peak amps or whatever it is, that's more yeah. than enough. The ones we, the ones we use at work, and we don't use the little lithium-ion ones. We use the regular bigger ones with the with the with the bigger battery in it. Uh, they're all they're all about 600. They're all about 600, and that does the job all day long. Um, I have a smaller one at home. Uh, that probably is not much good anymore, but it's 550. Is is it's uh, it's I want to get this right. I think it's I think it's 350 cranking amps, 550 peak amps. So it can provide 550 um, peak amps for a very short period of time when you first crank it over. Um, then I have one of the little lithium ion ones, and I have and those are both. Uh, those are both about 500 amps. They're about the size of a paperback book. And I have one of those in each car. And, and this uh -huh. is a good reminder. I need to take both of them out and plug them in and charge them up and make sure they're fully charged in case I need to use them. But um, 
But but yeah, that, that's what I, and I've had good luck with those too. So again, you don't okay. need you don't need a gigantic um, battery jumper because your battery's got something left in it. Even if you left your lights on and you came out in the morning and the battery was completely dead, well, it's not really completely dead. As soon as you start to put some current to it, it's going to it's going to kind of energize a little bit and it's going to be okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, don't worry, don't good. don't don't worry about don't worry about trying to get the most powerful battery jumper in the universe. You don't have to worry about that. But, you know, something that's in the 400 amp range should be fine for for everything but a tractor trailer. Well, thanks. Okay. Pleasure to talk. All to right. You. Take care now. Bye-bye. We have we have another call there left Keith. Uh, one second. Oh, Keith is thinking. It's up to you. Uh, Absolutely up to you. Uh, David and Edom. All right. Let's talk to David. Good morning, David. David. Uh, good morning, John. Uh, this is... Oh, sorry. Okay. That's not. Uh, but, uh, I, but I know who it is, so we're good. <laughs> it's, it's Mike. Uh, anyway, let me shut this down. Um, John, a question. Do you know, are you aware of any resource website that would tell you the safety features that are either standard or available by each vehicle? Hmm. What I have, what I, uh, what I have seen, um, the people that do the window stickers, Monroney, mm-hmm. um, you can go on their website, you can put in a vehicle identification number on any vehicle, I guess made within the last 25 years, and it will tell you what that car came with right from the factory. So okay. it'll tell you what features were in that car. But you got to okay. pay for it. It's like 10 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that. Um, okay. If you want to try to get something that's a little bit closer, uh, then you have to then you have to go with um, something else. I found the people at IC Cars, they have a they have a VIN app, so you can actually scan the vehicle identification number or read the vehicle identification number, and it'll give you a good idea of what came with that car. So it'll tell you, you know, did it have, you know, side airbags? Did it have roof airbags? Did it have anti-lock brakes? Did it have? It won't. It's not a hundred percent accurate like the Monroney one, but it'll give you a little okay. indication of what that car should have had from the factory. Okay. My my question is more or less if you're in the new car shipping mode yep. and you want to compare safety features, is there a place that has all safety features that are either standard with the car or oh. available? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. National, National Highway Traffic Safety, the NH, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, whatever that letters are, .gov yes. <laughs> will, give, will give you that information. And also the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety will also give you, so you'll get the crash test information and it'll give you the extra um, extra information that's available for things like front collision warning and all those kind of things. IH, I, yeah. IIHS does a little bit better job of letting you know what some of the other features that could be available with their car because they rate the cars a little bit higher when they have, say, like front collision warning. Okay, great. Okay. But, yeah, she's she's interested in, in safety features, and she wants to just look at vehicles that have the ones that she's interested well, in. Okay, well, I know you're up against it. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you should do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, take care. Let yeah, me know how you make day. out. All right. Bye-bye now. 
Well, it seems like we're running out of time, but Paul Paul Sullivan is right there. Where? Right there. Hey, Wait a guys. Second. Hey, yeah. what's going on? Well, you can call me Punky from Brewster. <laughs> yeah, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen you for a while. Or Umbop from Hanson. We haven't seen you for a while. It's because I've been around. Where you been? <laughs> I don't know, various uh, doctors, yeah. hospitals. We're worried about you. I, so am I. Great yeah. to have you back, though. Well, thank you. Well, you, got your, you got your Patriots football shirt on. I have no idea what I have. I, uh, I, I can't I, see a thing. I, I have one. I have one on too. I have on my. Where's champion. your Salem shirt? I like your Salem one. It's home, um, but I have the Patriots uh, champion uh, championship uh, goat one on. You know, oh. um, I'm about to go running after this. That's oh, see, why I'm good just for, Good for him. I'm about to go yeah. walk to my car and then drive. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not running anywhere. I'm I don't, gonna go yeah, sit over there. Yeah, you can go do whatever. You can go run wherever <laughs> exactly. he wants. I'm, I'm exactly. not running anywhere. I'm gonna go right yeah. over there. So uh, you still remember how to use the board and stuff? Well, the question is, can I see it? Yeah, that, that's the problem. Yeah. We'll, we'll do my best. You'll do your best. I yeah, I'm you sure. will. Because yeah. uh, because you know people 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 have uh, you know they've, they've been worried about you. So saint. Yeah. She's yeah. saint. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how it works. Yeah. Paul, this is your wife. Yeah. This is my wife, Claire. Everybody, hi, Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi. We know Claire. Yeah. Claire's been in here before. She oh. has. Yeah. I don't know Claire. Yeah. She knows her way around the board. Yeah. Well, yeah. good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What's that? Hey, hey, that 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 music means uh, we have to go. Okay. And the very best in Irish music. Good to music see you guys. Coming up with uh, Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade. Welcome him back. Yes. Till next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt. Drive safely. Be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.